you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, followed by chapter 12, reading verses 27 to 43. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Natophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate. And after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah and Jeremiah. And certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hananiah, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Maasiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Alani, Zechariah and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Eliza, Uzi, Jehoanan, Malchijah, Elam and Ezra, and the singers sang with Jezrehiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, 
and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Heather. Uh, that was not an easy uh, Bible reading, <laughs> so well done. <laughs> um, but thankfully, you didn't have to read the rest of chapter 11 or 12. <laughs> Some long names in there. Uh, well, it's good to be here. My name is Dave, and uh, I... I work at City on Hill. My role is the communications director, uh, so which the communications team um, is part of the central team, which seeks to resource and support our churches across the City on a Hill movement, and also serve as one of the pastors uh, in Geelong as well. So it's great to be here. I was here about six weeks ago or so, um, preaching as well. So it's great to have the opportunity again to come back. Uh, but before we get into God's word, would you join with me uh, in praying? Father, we thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you that you speak through your words. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now, that you would open our hearts and our minds, help us to respond to you, and help us to have a, a deep joy in you as we read your words today and as you speak to us. I pray that you would give us uh, a deep affection and love for you, and Lord, that you draw us closer to you. We pray this um, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, the past few weeks, my family and I, we've been away on a road trip. Uh, we went from Geelong up to Albury. We went from Albury to Kiama, Wollongong, Sydney, Newcastle, Coffs Harbour, and the Gold Coast before making our way back home again. And uh, when we are in Coffs, uh, we went to the Dolphin Marine Conservation Park. Has anyone by any chance been to this before? No, I didn't think so. Look, if you're going up the East Coast, you may as well make your, your way further and go up to SeaWorld. It wasn't really that worth it. But I went there with my cousin and his kids, and um, I've got three kids as well. And we went there, and the kids, they were so excited. You know, as we came in through the car park, we had these signs uh, with dolphins and seals on them, and the kids, they couldn't wait to get up close and to meet them. Uh, and as we came through the entrance, there was another sign for a new exhibit. It was a holiday exhibit called Meet the Mermaid. Meet the Mermaid. For 50 bucks, you can meet a mermaid. <laughs> you can meet, her name was Coral, the conservation mermaid. You could meet her. You could have a chat with her. Uh, you could take your photo with her. You know, my cousin and I, we had a bit of a laugh about it, thinking what a waste of money. <laughs> Who would actually do this? It's such a cheap marketing ploy. But the kids, they didn't think so. And uh, after we saw the seal presentation, all of them flocked towards uh, Coral the mermaid to see uh, this celebrity, to get a glimpse of this mermaid. In fact, the local Prime News came later that day and did a story about Coral. And uh, my cousin, he featured in it, and he said that Coral was a real highlight. She was a real highlight. If you think dolphin fin slaps are exciting, wait till you see mermaid fin slaps. They're right up there. <laughs> the kids, they were filled with joy. They're in the presence of a, of a mermaid. They were speechless. They were so happy. <laughs> Have you had a moment like this before uh, when you were filled with so much joy? Maybe it was a memory from when you were a child. Maybe it was going to the aquarium in Melbourne for the first time or going to the beach for a swim 
in Werribee. <laughs> or maybe it was when you got married or the birth of your first child or buying a home. You see, we all crave joy. Who doesn't want to be happy? Well, today we're continuing our series, Rebuild, uh, as we've been looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, this week we're going to see that God's people encounter a moment of joy. A moment of joy. And we're going to look at chapters 11 and 12, and we're going to see that there's this great celebration as the, the people, uh, as they repopulate the city and as they dedicate the city walls. And we're going to look at these chapters in two parts. We're going to look at part one, a fleeting joy, and part two, an everlasting joy. So let's look at part one together. If you've got your Bibles or the, the run sheet in uh, front of you, or your phones, uh, open up to Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people, they cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. God's people, they've returned from exile. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the city walls, and God is rebuilding his people. But now they encounter a slight problem. And what was this problem? Well, back in Nehemiah chapter 7, he tells us, he says that the city was large, but the people were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. You see, up until this point, it was only the leaders who lived in Jerusalem. The rest of the city was deserted. It was lifeless. It was empty. So where were the rest of the people? They were living in their towns, in the regions, they weren't living in the city. They were living in the country. And the leaders, they wanted to repopulate this city. But the people, they weren't all that willing to go. They weren't all that willing to go. Why not? Why didn't they want to move into the city? Why didn't they want to live there? We need to understand that cities back then, in, in the original context, they weren't the safest place to live. Cities were dangerous. In fact, if an enemy came to attack a nation, they wouldn't go to the villages or the towns. They would go to the city. So if you lived in the city, you were responsible for, for keeping it secure, for defending it. And as we just heard, not only this, but if you wanted to live in Jerusalem, you would have to rebuild your life. Literally, you'd have to rebuild your homes to live in this city. So why would they want to give up their comfy lifestyle, their property, their, their jobs, their family, their friends to move into this run-down city? Well, my wife and I, we, we originally uh, lived in Melbourne. Uh, sorry, we lived in Sydney and then we moved to Melbourne uh, about 13 years ago. And uh, we love the city. We love the city, but when my third child was born, we decided that we wanted to move to more of a regional city, so we moved to Geelong. 
Now, Geelong, it's just a stone's throw away from many of you who live and uh, in the West here. Uh, but it's a city. It's a regional city. It's not really rural. You know, we still have good food and we've got good coffee. Uh, we've got art galleries and museums. The shops are open late on a Thursday night. Um, we have Uber Eats as well, although we only got that last year. Um, but you see, this slower-paced lifestyle was appealing for us to move into more of a regional city. And we've seen over the past couple of years that many people have been escaping the big cities and moving into regional areas, into regional cities. So I think we can resonate with what's going on here. That people have this desire to live in the regions, in the country. But yet, sure, you know, today's cities are, are a bit different. Uh, they're different to the cities of Jerusalem back then. Uh, they are the center of business, of, of culture and art and food. But regardless of where you live, whether you live in a big city or in a smaller city, we still have this innate desire in us to pursue happiness, pursue fleeting joys. And that's what we see God's people doing. You see, joy can... We can encounter it in many different ways, can't we? Uh, we can pursue uh, and find joy in pleasures of this world, in the desires that we have within us for these momentary kind of gratifications. You know, those raging hormones in us desiring things like sex or adventure or entertainment. You know, getting those uh, dopamine hits as we look on our screens and scroll through the mindless entertainment there or social media. But we can also find joy in our possessions, in our, in our stuff, the things that we own. Maybe it's getting the latest gadget, renovating our homes, buying a car, in material possessions. But we can also find joy in our profession, in our careers, in what we do. In fact, what's one of the questions that we ask someone when we meet them? What do you do? What do you do? You see, our career is wrapped up in our identity. But we can also find joy in people. You know, we desire intimacy. We desire relationships with our friends, with our family, with our husbands or wives or children. Now, these things aren't necessarily bad things, are they? They're good things. But in and of themselves, they are incomplete. They are fleeting. They are fleeting. No matter how much joy we have, we will always feel empty. Jim Carrey, he famously said these words. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. So let me ask you, are you pursuing fleeting joys? Are you pursuing joys in pleasures of this world, in your profession, in your possessions or in other people? Are you seeking the satisfaction of an easy and comfy lifestyle? 
of living in the country. <laughs> I know for myself, uh, this is a challenge. You know, recently we bought our, our first home and uh, I'm already starting to covet what other people have. Thinking, you know, we've got a three-bedroom home, our, our, our daughters are sharing a room, the kitchen's maybe starting to feel a bit crammed. We have a backyard, sure, but we could have a bigger one. You know, it'd be nice to have maybe some acreage or something nice like that. Now, these things aren't necessarily wrong, are they? <laughs> but, and sure, we might outgrow this house, but the thing is, whenever, we, whenever you want something new <laughs> you're, and you, you get it, you're not going to be content. You're always going to want the next thing, but then that will fade and you will find something else to pursue. Life will, will always feel empty. Well, just like the city of Jerusalem, it, it was empty. There's no people living in here. So how do, how do the people deal with this problem? What do they do? They cast lots. And one out of ten move into the city. You see, at the back of their minds, they probably had Proverbs 16.33, which says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. They're saying that, God, this is ultimately your decision. You're the one who's choosing who should come and who should go. Who should move into the city? And maybe God places this call on some of our lives. Places this call to give up your, your comfy lifestyle for his sake. To sacrifice the happy, your happiness for the sake of others. To move away from your family or your friends to rebuild his kingdom. And you know what? Some of God's people, it says here, were willing to live in the city. They willingly chose to move to the city. And how do God's people respond to that? They bless them and they praise them and they send them off to move into Jerusalem. And following this, in, in chapters 11 and 12, Nehemiah, he records this, this long list of names, which we didn't read out, uh, but this list is, is uh, the, the tribes, the, the Levites, the priests, and the other officials. And it's not a list of people moving into the city. It was a list of people who were present in the time of Nehemiah. And what we can glean from these verses is that Jerusalem is now the center of worship. It is the place where we come to worship God, and God is gathering His people. He's gathering the remnant. He's gathering His leaders, the priests, the brave, the mighty, and the singers to worship Him. And He brings them to Jerusalem. God has rebuilt His temple. He's rebuilt the city walls, and He's rebuilding His people and he's urging them to give up their fleeting pleasures and to find everlasting joy in him, to worship him and give him the glory. 
And that's what we're going to look at in point two, part two, an everlasting joy. Well, earlier uh, this year, the Foo Fighters, they kicked off the return of stadium concerts uh, in Australia. And uh, out of all places, where did they go? They went to Geelong, to GMHBA uh, Stadium. Uh, it's the place to be. You might be thinking, you know, why Why did they go to Geelong? I don't know why either, but despite the, 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 the short notice, the regional location, and it was pouring down rain that night as well, it didn't deter the fans. Uh, and that night was truly a historic uh, moment for Geelong, but also for Australia. It was a celebration because after a couple of years of lockdowns, restrictions, border closures, things were finally starting to open up again. And one of the biggest rock bands in the world, the Foo Fighters, was touring for a one-night-only 30,000-stadium-seat concert in Geelong. And my mate, he, he went to um, the outside of the stadium to, to have a bit of a sneaky listen. And uh, he said that the atmosphere there was just alive. It was alive as there was people everywhere. You could hear the music. There was joy. It was a celebration. In fact, from our house, we're about 15 kilometers from the stadium. We could see the, the, um, the stadium lights. We could uh, see the, the fireworks and we could hear the thumping bass. If you were in Geelong that night, there was no way of escaping it. The Foo Fighters were the talk of the town. In a similar way, in chapter 12, God's people have a celebration. And Nehemiah says that this celebration, their joy was heard far away. Well, let's find out about this celebration. Look with me to chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And down to verse 30. And the priests and the Levites, they purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. After rebuilding the city walls and repopulating the city, God's people gather, they gather for a worship service to celebrate and dedicate these walls with joy. But before they do, Nehemiah says that the, the, the Levites, they purified themselves. They purified themselves, they purified the gates, the walls, and the other people. Why did, why did they do this? Well, as we heard at the start of chapter 11, Jerusalem is a holy city. It's a holy city. This is the place, this is the city where God dwells. This is where his temple is. This is where God's presence is, where his glory dwells, where his holiness is, his goodness. So for an, 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 an unholy people to, to enter into the holy presence of God, they needed to be cleansed. They needed to be purified. You might be thinking, that sounds a bit weird. <laughs> to have a shower every time that you 
worship God, to, to be cleansed and purified before you enter into his presence. But no, this was a common ritual for the Levites. And we hear about this in, in God's law, that the Levites would purify themselves with this somewhat symbolic ceremony to prepare their hearts, to prepare their minds as they enter into God's presence to serve him, to worship him. And for us today, things aren't all that different, are they? You know, for us to to enter into God's presence, to have a relationship with God, we need to be purified. We need to be cleansed. The Apostle John says in in, uh, 1 John 1.10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, those who repent and believe in Jesus They can have a relationship with him. They can be forgiven. They have their sins washed away. They can be cleansed. They can be purified. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus today, if you don't claim to be a Christian, you can be purified. You can have a relationship with Jesus. doesn't matter about your unholiness your impurities, your uncleanliness, because of Jesus who took your sin on the cross through his death and his resurrection, you can encounter a relationship with him. You can be clean and pure. You can repent and believe and come into a relationship with him and find an everlasting joy. And if you if you are a follower of Jesus, if you if you claim to follow him, Be reminded of these words. Be encouraged by these words that because of Jesus, you have been cleansed, purified. Your sins have been washed away. You can now enter into his presence and have a relationship with him. So stop pursuing fleeting joys and pursue that relationship with him. Well, as we heard in, in the Bible reading, after God's people uh, are purified, Nehemiah then splits them into two groups, into two choirs of thanksgiving. And uh, they come to the dung gate. And if you recall chapter, t- chapter 2, when uh, Nehemiah comes to inspect the walls, where does he go? He goes to the dung gate first. So in a sense, this story is, is ending where it started as God's people come here, and what is the significance of this gate? This was the gate where all the filth would go out of the city. Literally all the dump trucks, the diseased, the dung would go out of the city. So no wonder why God's people need to be cleansed as they came, because they were impure, they were unclean. And Nehemiah says that these two choirs, they start to walk around the city walls. And one of them is accompanied by Ezra, they walk to the south. And the other is accompanied by Nehemiah, and they walk to the north. And at the back of their minds, they probably recall the words of Tobiah, the enemy, back in chapter 4, who said that if even a fox walks on this wall, these walls will fall down. But who's the fool now, right? 
Here they are walking on the walls. They're worshipping God. They're singing praises to Him. They're playing loud music to Him in thanksgiving. And the walls are still standing. God is powerful and strong. They're worshipping Him for all that He has accomplished. Well, recently my wife and I, we've been watching this series uh, called Dope Stick. Has anyone seen this series? I've got one hand here. <laughs> uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, check it out if you're interested. Uh, and Dope Stick, it focuses on the epicenter of America's struggle with opioid addiction. And uh, it follows the, the true story of the Sacklers family uh, who founded this company called Purdue Pharma. And they developed this drug called OxyContin, which is this uh, slow-release pain relief drug. And they begin to market it and sell it across the country. Um, and uh, they persuade doctors to prescribe high doses of this drug uh, so that the company can increase in their profits. And uh, as they do, they, they have this claim that less than 1% of patients people who are on this drug, become addicted to the drug. And this was quite remarkable considering all other opioids out there were so addictive. But the thing was, it was all built on a lie. And the show, it follows uh, the sales reps, the doctors, the executives, the addicts, and the lawyers who were seeking to bring Purdue Pharma down for fraud. And the man behind uh, the company's success is a guy called Richard Sackler, and he's this very uncharismatic, uh, quiet and sort of joyless sort of a man. And he's fixated on building the most successful drug in history. And in this moving scene between him and his wife, he tells her that we're going to have to postpone the family holiday. A bit disappointed, you know, the kids are going to miss out. She turns to him and she says, why can't you just enjoy it? Why can't you enjoy it? Enjoy the success that you've had. Enjoy time away with your family, celebrating all that you have accomplished. To which he responds, maybe I'm incapable of joy. Maybe I'm incapable of joy. The show, sure, it follows the addiction of this drug, but equally it follows the addiction this man has to success. No matter how much success that we might have in this life, we will always feel empty. We feel empty. We need a deeper joy. We need an everlasting joy, a joy that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. And we see in Nehemiah, as God's people walk around the city walls, they, they, they make their way to the temple, to the courtyard of the temple. And in verse 43, Nehemiah says, And they offered great sacrifices that day. And they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. God's people, they encounter a deep joy, a joy in Him. 
The Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism says, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see, the people here, they're glorifying God. They're outside the temple where His presence is, where His glory dwells. They're offering sacrifices. They're singing to Him. They're praising God for who He is, for all that He has done. They're rejoicing in Him. They're worshipping Him. But notice the reference to to women and children. Why does he mention them? Because everlasting joy is not just for the men or the leaders, but the women and the children. In other words, it's for everyone. All people can encounter joy in God. In fact, their joy was so loud that Nehemiah says it was heard far away. Just like that Foo Fighters concert where I could hear it from my house, The joy here was heard far away. This kind of joy is attractive. People want to come and encounter this joy because we hunger for joy, a deep, everlasting joy, a joy that's not fleeting, a joy that isn't not fleeting. But I think think the temptation for us in a Bible-believing church is that we can elevate the Word, our understanding, our knowledge of the Word over joy in the Word, joy in a relationship with God. We can lack joy. And I know the the church isn't necessarily known for joy, is it? If anything, we're, we're known for maybe being boring, or being hypocrites, church scandals. The media doesn't proclaim that we are a joyful place to be. And our church is called City on a Hill for a reason. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus says that you are a city on a hill. And who was he talking about? Originally, he was talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city literally on a hill. It was to be a light to the nations, a place where people can encounter a worship of God, that people can come to serve Him, where His glory is seen and proclaimed. And Jesus says that you are a city on a hill. The church is a city on a hill where people can encounter Jesus. We are, and we are to be a church, right? Not just, well, on our Sundays, uh, as we worship together as God's people, but also in our lives throughout the week. So non-Christians can, can see us and they can cry out that I want that kind of joy. I want to encounter an everlasting joy in Jesus. Well, you might be feeling a bit flat, a bit distant in your relationship with God. And like like Sackler in that series, you might feel incapable of joy. But you know know why? It's because you're putting your joy in the wrong things. You're putting your joy in those fleeting pleasures or in your 
possessions or your profession or other people. I know for myself, I've been feeling this way recently. And uh, sure, I've been reading the Bible regularly and praying, but I still feel a bit flat. I feel like I'm lacking joy in my relationship with God. And I know when I feel that way, it is because I'm pursuing other things, whether that's my family or doing things around the house, holidays, whatever it might be for you, how can you pursue an everlasting joy in Jesus? You know, we're to take great comfort from these verses that as, God, as Nehemiah says that God made his people rejoice with great joy. God can make you rejoice with great joy. In fact, in John's gospel, he says that those who abide in him, who encountered Jesus, can have fullness of joy. If you're lacking joy today in your walk with the Lord, then ask God to fill you with joy, a joy that can endure suffering, a joy that is life-giving, a joy that is eternal. Do you want this kind of joy? Do you need this kind of joy? Then ask God to fill you with this joy, an everlasting joy in a relationship with Him. As the band comes up, uh, in a moment we're going to sing. And uh, you know what better way to respond to a passage like this than to worship God through joyful praise. But before we do, I want to I pray for you and for myself. You know, maybe, maybe you're lacking joy, just like me. You're going through those motions as you have your daily devotions, you're reading, you're praying, but you're lacking joy in your relationship with God. Or maybe you just feel empty. You've been pursuing fleeting joys. You know, those joys in other pleasures, possessions, professions, or people, whatever that is for you. You've been pursuing that and you feel empty. Jesus says that we can abide in him and have fullness of joy. So I'm going to pray for you and I want to pray that God would make you rejoice. That God would make you rejoice in him with great joy because of all he has accomplished for you and that you would find in him this everlasting joy this fullness of joy. And if you really want this for yourself, I'd love you to to say amen with me at the end. So would you pray with me? Father, we're sorry, Lord, for the times where we've been pursuing those fleeting joys in our life those fleeting joys in this world. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, from unrighteousness and cleanse us, Lord, 
We thank you, Lord, that we can experience true joy in you and in a relationship with you, entering into your presence, Lord. And we pray, Lord, if we're feeling flat right now, if we're feeling empty as we've been pursuing these fleeting joys, that you would make us rejoice, Lord, that you would fill us with joy, Lord, that we would abide in you and you alone and not find satisfaction in anything else, but that we would take great delight in you. So please make us rejoice with great joy and help us now as we respond in song to lift our voices in praise and worship to you for all you have done for us. And we pray this for all of our good and ultimately for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.